Hey gang, today's guest is lead guitarist and backing vocalist Nick Wheeler from the Stillwater, Oklahoma rock band All-American Rejects. Together we dive deep into the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the smash hit single, Move Along, taken from their 2005 second album of the same name. Nick was kind enough to share the demo of the song, written by himself and bassist vocalist Tyson Ritter, in the 11th hour after management and their record label told them they needed to keep writing for the album. Overall, the track was mostly there at the demo stage, save for a different melody and lyrics in the verses. The band chose Howard Benson to produce Move Along, and the results are pure pop brilliance. The instrumental layers and vocal treatments are highlighted even further by mixer Chris Lord Algy, who absolutely knocked it out of the park. The song was a huge step forward for the band, and its subsequent success opened up a huge legion of new fans. So for all this, and a filthy guitar pick scraping the frosting off an Oreo cookie, don't you dare go anywhere. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Nick, how's it going? Hey, buddy. How you doing, man? I am fantastic. It looks like you have a, a palm tree motif behind you. Is that what is that what I'm seeing? I'm what? in the vibes corner of my studio. Um, <laughs> I'd say the, so. The tree is fake because I've learned the hard way that you can't keep plants alive in a studio because of like sub frequencies as well as this is an airlock in here so nothing will nothing will survive but uh yeah and this is my vintage nun's chair apparently it was in like some nun's quarters i don't know she's dead now but it's mine okay <laughs> I, well i i i love the chair and and the motif and uh, loving your space yeah, too maybe... man fellow tennessean yes yes we discussed that we're neighbors a moment ago you're over in nashville i'm in the knoxville area Bitching. and I know we share a lot of stories. We were talking before we started rolling mm-hmm. uh, ab- about uh, the production team alone on this, which which we'll get into. But, you know, you're another one of those bands, the Rejects, that I remember when you came along. And I particularly remember because a band from Gainesville, Hot Water Music, they had a record on Doghouse. Oh, yeah, of course. And I found out you guys were doing it. And I'm like, oh, and you guys were the new band about 20 years ago. And <laughs> for whatever reason, any band after you guys, it was just they were just a new band. It doesn't matter if they were it came out in 2017 or, or when you did. Right. So you're not a new band. I, I can't believe 20 years is when. But I know, right? I remember hearing Swing Swing and... There's such a great uh, pop sensibility with that song. You certainly weren't, you know, a squeaky clean pop band, but you you weren't too too frayed on the punk side. course this record move along came out and it still sounded like you guys but it was just this this pop layer of production and it just took you guys to another level what was that like in between the first record and and going in to make this one and how did Howard Benson get involved did did, were you guys looking for a a, I'm going to use the term bigger pop sound than with the previous record sure sure Speaking of the of the first record, you know, we, like you said, we're signed to Doghouse Records out of Stillwater, Oklahoma. 
And, you know, I think we were just swinging for the fences with any pop sensibilities we had, just trying to get big choruses, trying to get those songs that would get us on the radio and get us out of that town. So, you know, Doghouse, you know, thankfully they came along because I was a big fan of the Get Up Kids. These were back in the days where you could turn a CD over and find the record label's address on the back of (laughs) the CD. So I would send unsolicited demos to record labels on on the backs of all my favorite CDs, and the Get Up Kids were one of them. Uh, And yeah, Dirk and Emily flew out to Tulsa. Uh, and signed us right there at the uh, the old spaghetti warehouse. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we made that record with Tim O'Hare um, for like ten thousand um, dollars. We slept on his floor, dirt cheap. This was we were in we were living in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, back in two thousand and two before Ooh. before it became the Williamsburg we we know today. Before it cleaned up. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I, I think Mikey from the Dance Hall Crashers had like a Radio Shack kind of like kiosk. Uh, in the little strip mall where our coffee shop was, like it was a, it was kind of like a '90s hangover, like is kind of what it felt like. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so all that to say, made that first record on the cheap, but we had a great experience, and we we were, we thought, you know, we were just gonna go write a dozen more songs and make another record with Tim O'Hare. Um, we would have been stoked to do that because um, that's kind of how we made the first record. We got signed with only five or six songs to our name. So once we got that record, you're like, oh, shit, I guess we better write the rest of the record. So <laughs> we took the last uh, the last semester of Tyson's high school, I guess, um, to write the rest of that. And we literally went to the studio with only 11 songs, the only 11 songs we had to our name. So when it came time to make a move along, we're like, cool, let's go write 11 or 12 songs and just do this again. We got to that point, you know, we, you know, shit out 11 or 12 songs. A couple of them were great and ended up making the record. But, you know, for the most part, we were coming off of this kind of roller coaster of touring the first record. And, you know, like I said, Tyson was in high school when we got signed. So, like, we were like 19 and 20 years old doing all this. So, like, there was a lot of experiences, a lot of a lot of decompression needed to happen after that. Um, and we just need to figure out what, what the fuck our band was. Like, because it was still... We were, it was just the two of us writing the songs. We recorded the first record, just the two of us. We weren't sure what kind of record we were going to make. Is this going to be like a Savage Garden thing where there's just two of us? Or is this going to be like a band rock record? So it was, I'd say about six, six or eight months in, you know, we thought we were ready. You know, we were ready to pull the trigger with Tim O'Hare and our manager and our A&R guy stepped in and they were like, why don't you just keep writing? And, you know, those ill-fated mm-hmm. words just keep writing. <laughs> yeah. which, which means we don't hear a single yet. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, Translation. And actually, when they said that, I, I don't think any of the singles had been written yet. So thank, thankfully, right. um, thankfully, they stepped in and, you know, said that over and over and over and just drilled that into our heads. And, you know, so at that point, we started mixing it up. You know, we were living in Florida. We couldn't go back to our hometown. It was a small place, you know. Mm-hmm. After being on MTV and then going back to our hometown, it wouldn't have been the same experience. We wouldn't have been, we wouldn't have had that anonymity to just be ourselves and create. Sure. And and can I just jump in real quick? Yeah, man. I got to talk about that first record real quick because what you guys did at your age, okay? I don't, and I'm, this is to all the listeners tuning in right now. 
It's amazing. Oh, that record, thanks, I, 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 I listened to band's first records. I know what our first records sound like, okay? We were trying to get our footing. We were trying to find our sound. You touched on something a moment ago. You said, you know, it's, is it just Tyson and I? You know, we're the ones that write the songs, but is, is this going to be a band collaborative effort? And those things, when you're talking out loud, are important. You totally. know, that, dr- that drummer you bring in, that mm-hmm. other guitar player you bring in, you know, they're going to add, a, no matter who they are, they're going to bring in or, you know, or, or subtract something from from the equation there oh absolutely you guys put this record out as kids you throw it out there and swing swing gets picked up by radio pretty big you're on mtv (laughs) you're playing the radio shows this happens on your first record on a label called doghouse yeah it was wild it's incredible (laughs) and congratulations to you guys oh thanks man i appreciate that yeah i mean you know people always say like overnight success and stuff and then on the other hand the band is always like it wasn't overnight we played bars for years before that happened but it's kind of both i mean we were you know paying our dues for a year or two and then that happened and it did feel like overnight once Mm -hmm. you know once it kicked in but yeah so it was this was like mid 2004 and we were, you know, just writing a bunch of songs, living in Florida, which, again, uh, we were up in the panhandle of Florida, which, you know, like I said earlier with Williamsburg, we were there a little early. It was called the Redneck Riviera when we lived there. We refer to that in Florida as Eastern Alabama. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they called it fucking Lower Alabama because of the, the three-letter the, the three letter postal code. But yeah, they called it the Redneck Riviera when we lived there, and now they call it Nashville's Beach because that's where everybody goes for mm-hmm. vacation from Nashville. Like, it's, it's, it's a lot different. It was like a little hippie beach beach town back then but um it was about that time where you know we we stopped making these full-blown demo like uh, full-blown produced demos and we just started writing acoustic you know acoustic tracks um and then we took a bunch of those songs to atlanta i think our manager thought we needed to get out of that hippie beach town you know stop being fucking beach bums and go somewhere not only where there were no distractions but where we could just work and to where the other guys could fly in and meet us. Because we at that point, we had decided, like, okay, let's get in a rehearsal room. Let's be a band. Let's finish writing these songs or finish arranging these songs. And, yeah, so we all met up in Atlanta. Um, and, again, this keeps, ha- like, this keeps happening. We stayed in the Virginia Highlands, um, which is kind of like, you know, the Williamsburg or the Silver Lake of Atlanta. Only back then, the now boutique hotel uh, was 30 bucks a night back then. <laughs> and uh I think one of us got bed bugs. Um uh-huh. yeah, it was it was it was wild. We we rehearsed in this place called Avatar Studios, which was a great facility, but I mean it was bare bones. It was plywood walls and you know, it was just just what we needed, like all that you needed and nothing more. Um and now it's ironically it's like my favorite coffee shop in uh in Atlanta. <laughs> it's <laughs> they've renovated it quite nicely. But anyway, so yeah, we got in this box and just started arranging these songs. I think the only single we had written at that point was Dirty Little Secret, and we weren't in love with it. We didn't know what it was. It was just an acoustic demo, and it kind of had this swing feel to it. It kind of sounded like a Tom Petty B-side. We didn't really know what to do with it. So we kind of just put that on the back burner, and we worked on all these other like rock songs that we had, uh, a lot of which made the record, but we still didn't have a single, so... You know, I, I learned yesterday when I talked to Mike, our other guitar player, he said that um, Jeff Sosno, our A&R guy, would call him and be like, hey, are, are, are there new songs? Like, have you heard anything? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't you don't want to bother to the writers and piss them off. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know about that. That was the first I'd heard of that. That was that that was hilarious. But um, that's awesome. But yeah, and it was just you know we 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 did that. We I mean only in your early twenties when you literally have nothing else going for you would you agree to just go to a, a, a strange city that you've never <laughs> been to, um, stay in a you know basically like a a motel and rehearse for 12 hours a day every single day until somebody said okay cool let's go make a record we had there was no timeline we had no idea how long we were going to be there when your A&R guy got involved and manager and said I think you guys should write more songs was there ever a discussion uh about bringing in or collaborating with outside writers and w- and when did Howard uh, get involved to produce Howard Benson yeah actually it only happened one time we were in Atlanta and Jeff, our A and R guy, suggested we meet and work with Butch Walker, who I'm actually awesome. a hu- I'm a huge fan of him. Yeah, um, I wa- I already was at the time. I was a Marvelous Three fan, and I think he'd put out a couple solo records at that time. And we're still buddies today. I, I love him to death. Um, so it wasn't anything against him. It was just a time in music, and also like a time I feel like for bands where any outside collaborators were just kind of frowned upon and it just felt icky. We're like, no, like we're a band. We write our own songs. Like nobody else is allowed in here. Like this is our little club. So did not, we didn't go that route and he never, he never pushed it again. Um, I think he, he thought he had a home run with the Butch Walker thing, which, you know, nowadays that, that'd be amazing. But, um, but yeah, back then we weren't interested. So we just kept, we just kept our heads down and just kept doing what we were doing and good for you. And Hey, you came off a pretty decent size hit for your first record. Okay. So there, there's something here, you know, if you had nothing on the first record, let's say move along came out and didn't move any singles, then, then maybe you might start saying, yeah, maybe we can collaborate and figure out what's going on. But you guys are kind of, you guys are kind of cooking here during the secret was your first top 10 track on the billboard hot 100 mm-hmm. it peaked at number nine you know and that song uh i think looking back now i think it was the perfect leadoff single well it wasn't gonna be <laughs> okay okay <laughs> wait, wait. well and the reason i say that is is it's not it's not too far removed from the same cloth right. uh, as, sw- as swing swing you know it totally. was a great it was a great setup to me Move Along, who introduced you, as you know, to a whole new fan base. I mean, when Move Along came out, I was hearing it in elevators in places that you don't hear bands like ours, you know, tip- typically, unless it gets massive. Right, That's that's that was the song that pop radio picked up, was Dirty Little Secret. I don't think we got really much pop radio play on Swing Swing. I mean, there was still a lot of rock radio, you know, back mm-hmm. then. You know, we were playing shows with, like, Stained and yeah. <laughs> Power Man 5000 and shit. What was the first single going to be? Um, it was going to be Move Along. Oh, it was? Yeah. So okay. we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. I don't mean to get ahead of myself Yeah, there, but, no, no. That's awesome. But uh, so, you know, we'd been in Atlanta for about a month. We'd rehearsed, you know, a dozen or so songs. Still no, still no single. Um, and so it got to the point where, you know, we just started kicking people out. You know, some of us would, you know, go to the, you know, the rehearsal room by ourselves or maybe Tyson and I would just go. Um, I think... I think the rest of us went to went to lunch um, one day, and then when we came back, Tyson was kind of messing around on the Korg Triton. That was our pride and joy. That's where I did all the programming for the first record on. So, of course, it came to Atlanta. But he was just fucking around with this preset that kind of had this, like, like that kind of vibe. And he was kind of, you know, humming this melody, and I was like, okay, like, 
hold that thought. I remember going over, you know, to my AC30 and my memory man and like, you know, making a guitar version of that, you know, which I, I think, you know, guitar nerds talk to me about this one a lot. Like that's not like a, a funk, like kind of guitar part. Like it's based on a delay pedal with you know, the feedback turned all the way down. So like, okay, cool. That's the trademark. Like that's the thing. That's the riff. And then just naturally, and I was thinking about this yesterday when I was talking to Mike, I was like, it's interesting because then from there, from that keyboard that Tyson was on and that the guitar rig that I was on, he picked up a bass, went to his mic, and then I got behind the drums, and then we arranged the song. That's when the that's how the bridge came. That's how all the, you know, the the little like, uh, you know, the ri- little rhythmic moves like the da 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 dum at the top of the second verse. All that stuff yeah. kind of came out of us just like jamming as a rhythm section, which is kind of funny because that's how the band started. When we were in bands in high school together, I was the drummer. Tyson just played bass. Um, and then I remember he, he one day he brought in a song that he wrote, like, all right, bro, all right, bass player, show us your song. <laughs> um, and it was fucking great. And then he got in my closet to record the vocal. We're like, holy fuck, he sings way better than this other guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> we're, so we're better friends with him, but man, I think we got to hire Tyson. <laughs> but, you know, and then, you know, and then high school happened. And, you know, I didn't really care about that and I didn't have anything else going on. And Tyson was having a great time coming over and playing songs with his friends. It ended up just be being me and him at band practice, him playing bass and singing and me playing drums. And then when we wrote Move Along, it kind of came about that way and it felt so natural and it was so fun and we were so excited about it. I thought that was kind of funny that it kind of went back to like the the birth of the band itself. Yeah. And then from there, you know, the other guys came in, we kind of worked it out the the guitar arrangements you know with our our dynamic is i'm I'm usually playing on the high strings on the guitar and then mike's playing on the low strings and then i mean that that was it 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 came about pretty pretty easily after we had arranged it in that room and you know then we you know we kept at that for you know for a couple more weeks um it ends tonight the third single the the ballad you know back when you would have a ballad single um because sure. Jeff, our A&R guy, kept on saying, like, we need a ballad. We need a ballad. And we already had, like, this song called Straight Jacket Feeling, you know, that we were stoked on. It's a deep cut. We were like, that's slow. Make that's, that's the ballad. That's fine. But once we had the demo for Move Along, which we just recorded live, um, I'm sure you'll play it on the show. The recording oh, yeah. is piss poor, but it's, it's, a li- <laughs> it's a live recording in that plywood box. Um, I recorded the vocals in that in that motel room. Tyson was in the bathroom and did the vocals. Um, and then we did, you know, It Ends Tonight came about the similar way. Tyson was at the Korg Triton playing a piano patch, and I sat down at the drums, and we arranged that song in a similar way. And it was about that time when we sent those awful demos to Jeff at at that time. I mean, that's another part of the story is how many fucking labels we were on between our first and our second record. <laughs> I don't know what label he was working for at that time. Maybe Geffen. I don't know. He was like, okay, I'm coming to Atlanta. We're like, Okay, weird. Like, <laughs> yeah, what do we do? We thought you guys like <laughs> we thought you guys just sent us here to be marooned forever. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so he came down, and at this point, Howard Benson was in the conversation. We we'd talked and we'd met with other other uh, producers. You know, like I said, we started 
possibly, you know, we were we thought we were just going to go make another record with Tim, which we would have been lucky to do. But I think, you know, once the major label machine kind of kicked in and once we, you know, we had enough success where we could take meetings with people like Brendan O'Brien or Dave Sardi. Yeah, um, for sure. And we did, and that would have been amazing. Like, I think the way we ended up as such a well-oiled, rehearsed machine to make this record, I think it would have been a, a, a great record to make with Brendan O'Brien or something like that. But Howard seemed like the right fit. He came down to Atlanta along with Jeff and sat in that rehearsal room and listened to me and Tyson play those two songs, just those two, and we're like, all right, cool, let's go make a record. Like, oh, fucking Christ, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and and that's great that it, it aligned up like that for you guys because Howard heard through the, the rehearsal space, the plywood. He could hear the, right. he could hear the hits, and that's what he's great at. He you is, know, yeah. you, uh, as great as some of those aforementioned producers are, Brennan O'Brien, those guys, you wouldn't have made the same record. I feel like two worlds collided that had to. You know, you, you and Tyson have great pop sensibilities, but Howard's just such a great composer. Mm-hmm. And I have to ask you, I know after we made our first record with Howard, it made all of us better players because oh, we had to replicate this wall of sound that was coming at you. This quadrupled our... rhythm guitars on every fucking song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm one guitar player, you know? Right. And, 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 and he layered vocals, and that was the first time that, oh, that, yeah. that, our, that our harmonies really were, were, were coming to life and those things. So I'm glad that, that uh, it, it worked out and you got him with Howard. And what a character. Uh, we were talking before we got, <laughs> we got rolling that, and I know some of the listeners have heard me talk about Howard, but I think we were the band right before you. We okay. were making our in with the out crowd album yeah and you guys were uh in there just after us it might have been in tandem near the end because i remember being in there at some point i think i might have flown out there were a lot of bands in and out i remember you know because he, he's kind of a it, it's a machine like it's it's kind of a conveyor belt um in the best way his records sound amazing he's got a great team but yeah i remember mike him came in one day to cut that uh, under pressure um single they did with the used, um, thrice came in. Um, I think they were maybe going to make a record together. I, we probably ran into you guys there. I think Fly Flyleaf was there too. Like there were so many bands going through that Howard machine in two thousand five. Yeah, I want to think I ran into one of you guys that were out there. And one last thing, because we got on here, I'm kind of at a loss for words. And. <laughs> Nick's saying he's a huge fan of the show, that Mike turned you on to it. We were oh, talking yeah. a bunch. I said, we got to stop talking and we got to hit the record <laughs> button so we could, we could get all this. But I don't know how long this episode's going to be, but I have to say real quick for everybody out there, a little interesting aside, right around the time COVID happened, a good buddy of mine, Mass Giorgini, hit me up and Mass said, hey, I'm, I'm buddies with Mike from The Rejects and let, let's do a seven inch. I'm like, okay. No well, way. Yeah. He, and he's like, we'll get Stefan Egerton to play drums and you can play guitar and sing. I'm like, I don't even want to play guitar. I just want to sing. Yeah, I'll let Mike play the guitar. Mike's great. You know, oh, the, and I don't we, think I knew about that. That's no, incredible. because we had these back and forth emails that kept going back and forth, and it, it just didn't happen. It was one of those oh, pipe dreams. Bummer. I know it was. It was a total bummer. I, I, I would have loved that, but yeah, just it, it, it's crazy how our uh, our paths have, have crossed, and the fact that you, you hit us up and wanted to do this. It's so awesome. Like I was telling you, I've done the deep dive. I, I love this type of podcast and your energy and your just attention to detail and like willingness to like get as nerdy as the guest wants to is fucking <laughs> yeah. incredible. Both of you guys. Thank you. Also, I, I feel like 
I feel like we did Slam Dunk together back in like 2013, 2014, maybe. And didn't you guys host like an after party at like a brew dog brewery one night? Yes, yes. Okay. Then, okay. Dude, I remember going over, to the, going over to the UK in 2012. We were opening up for Blink that summer. And I was like, oh my God, the UK finally has micro brews. This is fucking incredible. Like, it's not going to be like Grolsch every fucking night. And. And so I was so stoked that like you guys were putting on parties at the Brewdog Brewery. Brewdog are good people, but Hell yeah. I do want to jump into this song. And if you listen to enough episodes, Nick, you will know I've talked about songs that anything that gets over three minutes, you know, if it's not the right song, it just be- it becomes just too much. It's laborious. Oh, dude, every song on our first record was like four and a half minutes long. It was insane. I can't believe this song. And I, and I, I always go back to, you know, say that it's good songwriting. Uh, this song's four minutes. It does not feel like it. Oh, and you know what's funny? Howard wanted us to make it longer. He was because we had a, an abrupt hard ending like you might have heard on the demo. And he's like, no, just loop ah. it. We'll just fade it out. That adds like 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. Well, we're going to get to that demo in a little bit. I do want to talk about it. I took some notes on it because it's really it's really interesting. But the song's four minutes long. This intro, great drum Tom intro. It's, you know, I was trying to think of songs with a, with a Tom intro like this that I hate. I can't think of one. <laughs> this, this, this is like George of the Jungle or I Want Candy by Bow Wow Wow. It's like when a song starts with that drum beat, it's, it, it, it rarely falls off the cliff. And, and I love it here. <laughs> Thanks, um, that goes for four bars. The drum tones are just sick. They sound huge. Uh, on bar five, uh, the bass and tambourine come in. The tambourine's panned off left. The bass tone is ripping here. Oh, yeah. And then there's some guitar feedback uh, kind of coming in a swell in the uh, uh, left and right speakers. And then eight more bars of those stereo guitars. <laughs> Talking about that feel on the Korg earlier, Nick, and this song always reminded me of like a Calypso yeah, reggae feel. Totally. You know? And I, I don't know if that's what you were going for, but it's so it was so different of a sound at the time. I, had, I, I wasn't hearing pop and modern rock bands with that flavor. Right. That's something that Mike said to me yesterday. He was like, we all thought it was weird that like there was nothing on the radio with this kind of... I mean, yeah, like you said, Calypso or, you know, our, you know, our guy always called it the Bo Diddley beat, which it wasn't really that either, but it was kind of a <laughs> Frankenstein of a lot of things. On the demo, it's the, the intro is different. Um, it starts with that acoustic acoustic guitar, starts with the chorus. Yeah. Um, and then we go into the drums with the bass, and that's just kind of a little connector between the opening chorus and the riff. When all you gotta keep is strong, move along, move along like I know you Move along. I think for me, just starting with the drums, even in the studio, I remember being like, but it's not just going to be drums, right? We got to do something else. Because to me, it was just like Mr. Brownstone or like something like that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, like it can't just be drums. But but you're right. The the tones ended up really sick. And we did something cool. All, all of our records we've used 
analog tape in some fashion. Um, and our third record, even, we did the whole thing to tape, which was um, a time suck. But um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but on this one, we used um, tape for this drum intro. I think I sent you a picture of Chris with his mallets um, yeah. just playing toms. What we did was we recorded at twice the speed. So I don't know if it was like 30 ips or whatever, whatever the technical term is. Um, and Chris had to play that intro twice as fast. It was like, do, 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 like over and over. And then we slowed it down to half speed so that everything was an octave lower. And if you listen to that intro in headphones, there is an insane amount of tape hiss, which I didn't, I never noticed until yesterday when I went back and listened to the song for the first time. And 15 years or whatever i thought that was intentional oh no <laughs> okay because i was like they were going for that ambient and sometimes you you know when you get that those those high crispy you know sometimes mm -hmm. they're meant to be there i i thought it was part of the process oh that's just a, that's just a bunch of half speed <laughs> tapis is what that is that's cool though um but yeah and then you mentioned the tambourine that's another thing that howard really pushed us to do there were a couple times, you know, like I said earlier with the writing, like we were very self-contained and we also were very self-contained when it comes to performing, at least until this point. Like Tyson and I played every single stitch of that first record, just he and I. The second record, we were going to do the same thing, but the four of us. And there was one point where Howard was like, we should bring like we should bring in a percussionist. You know, yeah. I think it'll really bring things to life. Let's bring in the best guy in the world, Lenny Castro. What do you think? Exactly. That was that was his idea. And we were like, at the time, you know, ignorant us, we were like, give me a fucking tambourine. I'll shake it. It'll be fine. That is a next level experience to get to watch someone like Lenny Castro lay down an entire album in half of a day. Like, give me a break. It's unreal. Yeah. <laughs> The direction that a man, like a guy like him gets from the producer is, can you pull back a little bit? And like, <laughs> you're, you're trying to listen. It's like, well, okay, and then can you play ahead of the beat a little bit, you know, or do this mm -hmm. or do that? And any direction you give, he plays it perfectly. And oh, that's why you, totally. That's why that's why you hire those guys. But mm -hmm. that's so interesting, and and it's really funny. You know, we had a lot of records, my band, to finally get to the point where we were working with a producer that was telling us to do stuff. And it kind of went gradually. You know, it started out with our, right. our buddy would show up drunk and go, you should double that chorus at the end. Like he was our first producer, right? So by the time we got to the fifth record, it's like we were starting to be able to take direction. Here you guys were kids, 19, 20 years old. This yeah. is your second record and and you're that, and I, and I love the passion, okay? You're that steadfast of like, no one's playing the tambourine. <laughs> I can play the tambourine. Yeah, all four of us were like, any of us could do this. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. dude, yeah, Lenny showed up one day near the end of tracking. Um, he came in, you know, his box truck showed up first and, you know, unloaded just all kinds <laughs> of toys, like filled up the entire live room. Um, and yeah, Howard would have him do a shaker track, a tambourine track, and then a miscellaneous track, you know. And that would be, you know, on It Ends Tonight, Lenny added some congas. Um on straight jacket feeling you played like a bell tree. It was kind of just, you know, the 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 whatever take. And a lot of mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff ended up making it. It was great. And what was so funny is that he would come into the control room and we would listen to one song at a time. But the whole time he would just be talking and telling his stories, not paying attention at all. Yet when it came time to track the song, he would go in and knock it out in one take. Like we're like, so you were listening? Like <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> that's insane. 
I know he he's played on a couple couple of our songs and it's just incredible to watch him work. I got to ask about this intro. Are there any keypads or synths behind those guitars? I know we got some uh, we, we got those, those delays and, and whatever you got going on on those guitars there. But I, I thought maybe, you know, Howard likes to do layers like that. And he does. There's also, there's also a palm muted guitar following along kind of tucked underneath. It's just awesome. Yep. Yeah, um, well, thank you. Um, but no, there's no sense in that intro. Like you said, there's there's some feedback leading into it. Yeah. But it, it, I think it is just that ambience and that the space that the drums and that riff kind of provide. And it's and since I'm not pl- actually playing every note of that riff, I'm only playing half of it. You know, and dun 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 dun, and then there's right. a, a sixteenth note slapback delay on it. Yeah, I guess that kind of adds that kind of airy kind of quality to it. But but no, no sense on that. Howard did add some stuff later in the song, which I'm sure I'm sure we'll get to. I'm sure you picked that out. But yeah, um, well, and there and there's also let's not forget the Pro Tools engineer Paul DeCarly. Who oh we yeah. Were, okay, like Paul just would do chain things. smoking back there editing twelve <laughs> hours a day. <laughs> yeah, like. This guy was a whole other level because oh, yeah. people, you know, were starting to become around the time we started, uh, you know, working with Paul 2003, 2004, becoming Pro Tools gurus. These oh, yeah. were the guys that, that you have to get. And he would take a pair of stereo guitars. He'd take the direct line in, okay, before they went through any amps, and he would just play with it. Oh, and he would layer it, and then he'd put those behind certain things. So you'd walk in and be like, well, those guitars sound different in the chorus. Like, yeah, I'm going to mute them right now. Like, whoa, now here, here they are in. It's like... But when you when you stereo them and listen to them alone, they, they would sound like garbage. Sometimes, oh, like, interesting. Like, but when he but he would blend them in, he, so there was things like that going on that I didn't know if that was happening here. I never got the multi track from Howard. All I have are are the uh, the the CLA um, sessions that he mixed okay. to. Yeah, and a lot of stuff because CLA uh, condenses everything down to forty-eight channels, so he can mix on his SSL. And that's Chris Lord Algae for everybody out there. The, oh the yeah, mixer. sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there, there might have been some things like summed or you know bounced down um, some layers, but I mean it's it's all guitars. I, I just don't know what was done to them prior to CLA putting them up on his SSL. But but that lower palm muted part, that's Mike's part. So. Like I was saying earlier, like I'm usually up on the twinkly strings and then he's on the lower ones. So yeah, we're kind of creating just a bigger harmonic palette for for those for that riff. I love what those guitars do together and they just sound huge here. Verse one comes right after the intro. Go ahead as you waste your days with thinking when you're You know, you were you were talking before, Nick, that you know you don't write the lyrics; these are Tyson's words. But sure. we can we can definitely talk about them. Um, I love the message. I don't know exactly what's ha- going on here, but you, you want to talk about a positive, uplifting song? This is it. Go ahead, as you waste your days with thinking. When you fall, everyone stands. Another day, and you've had your fill of sinking with your life held in your. And I'm calling the next. We're gonna read the next part, but I'm calling the next part pre-chorus. Oh yeah, we call that's what we call it. Okay, okay, yeah. it's not the verse. We're sa- so we'll, we'll, same page. We're going to save that for a second. Verse one here, on the second and fourth lines, we had never worked with anybody that did this. Uh, Howard was the first one. He likes to double things. Yep. And they're not everywhere. It's only on the two and four here. Strategic doubles, yeah. Yes, and it's not super loud. You don't really hear it, but you feel it. 
And it's just that production element, especially if you're going for what you guys were going for, you know, that rock pop sound, it's absolutely brilliant. Pre-chorus comes in. Hands are shaking cold. These hands are meant to hold. Hands are shaking cold. These hands are meant to hold. And I'm saying that speak to me is not part of the chorus. I'm saying speak to me is is still part of the pre-chorus. Yeah, I'll give you that. Okay, yeah. okay. We could have had a, a knockdown drag on argument about that. <laughs> it could have lasted another half hour. Thank you for, for agreeing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just bass, guitar, and vocals here. Yeah. And the subtone on that bass that's happening. It's oh, dude, just... there's, yeah, there, I think there was four bass tracks on this record. That was actually one of the, oh. that was one of the things that like Howard was bragging about when he came to Atlanta. He was like, oh, dude, for the bass? We're going to do an amp, we're going to do a DI, we're going to do a sans amp, and we're going to do a sub. And we're like, what the fuck? Four bit? Yeah, this guy. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, again, there's this kind of, and there's almost like a swirly feeling that's happening here. The vocals, the lead vocals, uh, have like a high octave double yep. on this oh, yeah. part. Yeah, Tyson has a beautiful falsetto, so we would do that a lot, where he would double the vocal an octave higher in a falsetto voice if uh, anybody out there goes to listen to the song hopeless case by less than jake i'm in the vocal booth one day and howard says all right we're done but i want you to do one more thing i said <laughs> okay you know, he had me doing harmonies all this other stuff on it Hell he yeah. says, i want you to sing the whole thing an octave up falsetto i go you're kidding me right I said, my falsetto is terrible. I mean, I sound horrible falsetto. It's like, you know, I got a na 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 na. He's like, no, sing That's it. great. I, I sang the performance. If you listen, you got to listen hard. But in the verses, it's tucked under there. It is that pop thing. You listen to all of them. Taylor Swift, I don't care. They all do it. It just, it fills out the voice. Seems like a losing fight. If you could see it through my eyes, then you'd believe me. That's a move now. Like, that's part of vocal tracking nowadays. Everybody does the octave. Or, you know, they'll just copy the track and, you know, stick like Little Alter Boy, like a plug-in that will create yeah. an octave higher. They'll stick that on there, too. But, but yeah, like, Howard did open us up. Um, and, I mean, don't get me wrong. Tyson is super creative with harmonies, too, coming up with super just interesting intervals, like seconds and sixths and, like... Just stuff that you'd never think of. Not your basic, like, okay, I'm just going to sing everything a third higher now. But Howard definitely did introduce us to things like singing an octave higher or a low harmony, which we hadn't done on our first yes. record. Like, that was the thing. Like, when you're kind of, you know, we, we come from a more pop punk background. So, like, we would, Tyson would just sing really high and then he would sing a harmony even higher than that. And then that was it. But this record, yeah, there's definitely a lot more pads. Um, vocal pads and a lot more lower harmonies and just really interesting shit. Yeah, that's so cool. I, mean, I could talk to you about this all day, the the nerding out with Howard because oh, yeah. I because I just feel free to I, edit any of that shit out. Well, no, no, because I I learned so much. He taught me just about he he'd be sitting around the studio. You can attest to this. He just out of nowhere he'd be eating an Oreo in his sweatpants. Oh my god, he, the Oreos. Okay, yeah. So I wanted to compare notes on this. He would show up every day in the same sweatsuit. I'm, I'm told it's not the same. I'm told his closet is lined with black sweatsuits and uh -huh. Philadelphia Eagles jerseys. Yep. He would show up in a different black sweatsuit and a different Eagles jersey every day. And then he would just pick up a random guitar pick from like the coffee table and scrape 
<laughs> scrape the cream off the Oreo and just lick it off a guitar pick that had been God knows where. It, at the very <laughs> least, somebody else's mouth. Like, <laughs> I, I I could corroborate all of this. Uh, I, if, if, if Howard if Howard calls me if Howard calls me in a week, I will I could also deny it. So. Just blame me. <laughs> yeah, but this dude out of nowhere, he'd be scraping an Oreo and he'd look over. He go, Hey, you know those when it does the 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 key change and living on a prayer the, at the end. You know, those are all women singing those high backing vocals. I'm like, really? Huh. He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, that, that's what they do. They, they'd, have, they'd have women singers come in to hit those high notes. I'm just yeah, like, if Mutt Lang okay. wasn't producing, you would have to bring in women. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, okay, okay this, this came completely out of left field. How's that Oreo? You know, he's like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, oh, it's incredible. Hey, everybody, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Nick Wheeler coming up after a few words from our sponsors. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My dirty little secret. And now back to the show. On the line, speak to me. And the demo, this part was there. And I, I want to talk about the demo real yeah, quick yeah. before we go forward. Just real quick. Demo was really interesting. Uh, as you mentioned, starts off with a chorus. Uh, that intro drum beat and feel, it was there, okay? That heartbeat was there. The groove was a few beats slower. And if I, know anything, okay. if I know anything from Howard, he likes to keep things. He doesn't want to speed up. I'm glad it's sped up. The song's called Move Along. I felt like it needed <laughs> to move along a, a couple beats heavier there. The lyrics are different, definitely in the verses. There's no oh, choir yeah. here, no choir at the end. And the chorus lyric at the end, I want to talk about this real quick. Yeah. Because 15 million can't be wrong. And the other lyric was 15 million strong, we move along. I kind of got a like a we were Flintstones kids, ten million Dude, strong and growing exactly. vibe. That's what I said yesterday when I was talking to Mike. I was like, <laughs> I I know what the song was originally written about, and we can get into that. But I want to say that we changed the lyric for more reasons than just just the one. And I was like, I feel like we were talking about it sounding like a Flintstones vitamins commercial in the post chorus. <laughs> Flintstones, America's favorite. 
I didn't know if this song was people struggling through. I, you know, I had read some things online that you know could be, could be things like suicide and different. You know, so 15 million strong are those the people that survive this, or they're the survivors living with survivors' guilt of of members of their family that passed away. So right, thought right. it was an interesting lyric, but it did not make uh, the final cut. However, the I, I call it the heartbeat, the pulse of the song was there. The co- yeah, the chorus did not change. The, the no, chorus, you know, it's it's the it's the old uh, it's the thing where like you know. The verses, that's for us, that's for the artist, and the chorus is for everybody else. <laughs> um, so that chorus was there, and that did not change. But yeah, the, right. the just what's what's kind of funny is that we changed, um, and I, I don't know, I mean, Tyson was obviously involved, but I don't remember if that was a Howard thing, if that was a, a Jeff Sosno at the label thing. But the, the idea was just to make the song a little more universal. And what's funny is that what you thought it was about is not at all what it was originally about. So it was already kind of universal, it sounds like. Yeah, no. And and that's what I love about uh, lyrical interpretation. You, you just never know. Up to the part where it says, speak to me here. Uh, the drums do a great fill under the vocal before we launch into chorus one. But up to this part, what, what does the song mean to you? What do you, what do you, what do you think uh, the Tyson's trying to evoke with these lyrics? Again, like I said, the... The verses, that's for the artist, you know? I've, I've never grilled them about, um, yeah. or I've never sat them down like this, like like you do, like read the lyrics back, or like, tell me what this means, but... Um, you don't do that when you're in a band with somebody. You don't. And I mean, I'm, an, I'm a 90s kid, like I grew up on grunge. I didn't know what the fuck those guys were talking about. I just accepted <laughs> it. I was like, this song rocks. Like, I love the yeah. vibe and the melody. But originally, you know, this song was written, like I said, when we were all, you know, living in, I mean, let's just say it, squalor in Atlanta, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. So, um, you know, the only thing we had was the was the black, I don't think it was black and white. My That's just my, my, my memory playing tricks on me. But like... Whatever TV was in the hotel, like we had like a few basic cable channels. Um, yeah. We were also in our early twenties. This was kind of like, this was kind of like our college dorm experience because none of us really ever got that. It's amazing you stayed as focused as you could, being dropped off in the middle of oh, Atlanta with bars I, I, around. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I know what I would have done. Oh, I mean, we don't get me wrong. We were regulars at the Righteous Room down the street, <laughs> and that place is still there. I fucking yeah. love it there. Great jukebox. Um, but, (laughs) but, you know, we were, we were starting to think for ourselves and starting to, um, you know, challenge things. And this was right around the time of the second George Bush's reelection. So we were watching a lot of the debates and the song was originally very politically fueled. Like it was kind of like a response to George Bush winning a second term, you know, because, you know, we were all, we were all rooting for the other team. And that's kind of what it was originally about, and that's where the the you know fifteen million or was it fifty million? I forget what the original lyric was, but it, it might have said fifty. I thought it said fifteen. But okay, yeah. I, I don't remember, but I think that was talking about the people who voted for John Kerry. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So so then when it came time to make the record, um, it was yeah, it was just. I mean, it was also two thousand five. Like I think back then, if you were in the entertainment business, it was safer to be non political. Um, mm-hmm. I think today is way different. I think it's. I think it is important to you know voice your opinion um, and find like-minded people to work with, as well as fans and vice versa. But but yeah, back then it was like let's just make this more universal, and not just not just to be like let's let's be politically safe. It's more just like let's just make this more palatable and approachable to the general public, general rock fans. You know what mm-hmm. I mean, and our fans. 
Um, and sometimes that's not the right way to go. And and again, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I I think that was the right move here. I really do. Totally. I I do too. And you know, and I did not remember that. Not only did the lyrics change in the verse, but the melody pretty much changed completely too. Oh yeah, it 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 changed pretty drastically. Mm-hmm. But but you're right. The 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 heart of the song, the chorus, the lyrics, the melody, nothing changed about that. That was that was the silver bullet there. Well, getting into chorus one. When all you got to keep is strong, move along, move along like I know you do. And even when your hope is gone, move along, move along just to make it through. Uh, stereo guitars, bass, and drums. There's a great shuffle beat on that hi-hat. It makes it so danceable. You know, this <laughs> cool. this this really is, this chorus to me is like a dance song. It, it, it just makes you, I, I've said this before on the show, if something gets my feet moving, I'm not a dancer, but there's something that about this shuffle that just makes you want to kind of bob and weave and, oh, and, right and dance a bit. Yeah, yeah we, for a couple songs on the record, this one, a song called Stab My Back, um, we just kind of wanted more, more, you know, more of a groove um, mm-hmm. in, on this record than, you know, just the, I mean, every, go back to the first record, every song is so fast. Like, I don't think there's a song under like 140 BPM. It's mm-hmm. like the ballad was over a hundred BPM. Like, yeah, yeah. So on, on this one, yeah, we wanted a little bit more of a groove, and then yeah, that drum part. I mean, it, if you didn't get you know get the reference already, when I wrote the guitar riff, it was on an AC30 with a Memory Man. I was a, I'm a big U2 fan, and I was going through a big U2 phase at the time. So when it came down to you know sitting down at the drums and creating that, it's like okay, what would Larry Mullen do? Like sixteenth mm-hmm. notes, and then kind of alternating between snares and tom on like random beats yeah a little sunday bloody sunday kind totally, of totally totally that's that, yeah. that was kind of the spirit of it at least especially with the you know with the original lyric and stuff like it, it just felt like i mean just i'm i'm hearing the song with a big open hi-hat in the choruses it would have worked but it wouldn't have made you feel <laughs> like the, and those are those nuances that you talk about and as a songwriting partner to tyson i know you guys probably complete each other's musical sentences oh yeah and w- when you find somebody like that it, it it's a precious thing For we sure. get a harmony and great harmonies on two and four uh, in the chorus and notice I didn't uh, use the next two lines as a chorus I'm calling this a post chorus I love songs with a post chorus and it's just the two lines move along here the Mm. first one the first one's just Tyson the second one has a killer harmony on it and then it's uh, eight bars of the music there uh, which is over that intro uh, progression and the feel of that intro that calypso things back there Interesting on the demo, the next part, and you had talked about this a little bit ago. That dega dega dun mm-hmm. in the in verse two. It's such a cool part. It only happens. I thought for sure that I'm like, oh, that's a Howard thing. That sounds like, hey, we got we got to get into the second verse differently. But right. the fact that you already had that, and then I got to thinking. I'm amazed that it got past Howard. Because you could have just, you know, because he doesn't like mucking up the waters. Nope. So now you show what plans of change you have been A couple of comments about that. Um, first of all, I think little moments like that 
come from being able to set up as a band and play a song. You're not just For like sure. copying and pasting like, okay, let me just take the track from verse one and fly it over to verse two. Um, you're in there like as a band and you're like, okay, cool. Like we did it this way for the first verse. Let's fuck it up in the second verse. And, you know, just you're entertaining yourselves and you're you're kind of hold, trying to hold your own interest and each other's interest um, through the arrangement. And that kind of stuff is, you know, it came out of being able to set up and rehearse and arrange the songs as a band. And then in that re-intro, I don't think it's in the beginning, but yeah, in this re-intro there, there is an element that could sounds like a keyboard or some sort of programming, but it's actually Tyson singing through a Leslie speaker. Oh, that's what that is. Which that was something that, you know, Howard wanted to fuck around with. I don't know if that was one of, that was in his bag of tricks or not, but he mentioned, Mm -hmm. you know, trying things like that. And, uh, and yeah, so Tyson's just singing move along and then holding out that last note and then from that rotating speaker. Yes. Um, And that again, like gives it this just, airy, just kind of otherworldly quality that isn't just guitar-based drums. It's so it's so good that part. It's great. Well, that da 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 the one two three four five big stereo guitars, bass and drums. The toms just sound really huge there. The lyric is so a day when you've lost yourself completely, and those drum fills uh, come on so a day and lost yourself in that first line could be a night when your life ends. Such a heart that will lead you to deceiving. All the pain held in your. Uh, we get harmonies on night when your life ends and pain held in your. I'm a, I'm a huge harmony guy, and oh, I yeah. always talk about it. And I get in here and I look, and I just I love where the placement of the harmonies. Mm-hmm. You could have left them off first too, but the song's building. It's do yeah. you know it's climbing up the mountain here, and Howard's great at that. Yeah, he really is. And I think, you know, like I said, I, I can't speak to exactly who came up with the harmony ideas at which point, you know, like I said, Tyson's amazing at them. Howard's really great at them too. But each record we put out, there became progressively more and more and more harmonies. And I was like, there's just not enough of us. Like we can't do all of these at the same time you, anymore. You start to fall in love with the harmony in, uh-huh. in a different way because once you start opening your mind that, you know, you've been singing in thirds this whole time. What if you tried this? You st- then a light bulb goes off. You go, oh, you could do yep. different harmonies and mm-hmm. weird stuff and we can get into Mr. Bungle territory. Okay. Totally. You know, and then then that's where my head starts to explode. Oh, uh, and something, <laughs> <laughs> Something you you uh, touched on that I'd love I'd love to talk about is just Howard was really big on the drums staying out of the way of the vocal, and like you said, you were surprised how this made it past Howard for sure. Um, you know, Howard was a busy guy. He was making four records at a time most days. When we were in the studio, um, tracking guitars and bass, and you know, just you know all the all the overdubby kind of stuff. Howard wasn't even there. Um, Mm -hmm. We were working with Mike Plotnikoff, his amazing engineer, and then Keith Nelson at the time was his guitar tech, who just was during Buck Cherry's hiatus. Yeah. Uh, This is pre-Crazy Bitch. Um, Yeah. But yeah, so Howard came in the first two days, because the first two days were drums. We knocked all those out 
in the first two days. And then for six weeks, our drummer was bored out of his skull just playing video games. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Howard was there for those first two days to, quote, make sure the drums don't get in the way of the vocal. I've heard that. Yep. I've heard that out of his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And he's exactly right. You know, we straightened out a lot of things. Again, I I feel like this beat in verse two, I feel like I'm surprised any of verse two made it past Howard, but but I was real I was really stoked on the the kind of dizzying thing that the, you know, bouncing between the snare and the toms and the hat um kind of has here. But but yeah, then then Howard would come and he would track vocals with Tyson in the in the loft above the studio. There yes. Was this like kind of windy staircase that went up to a loft with like a circus tent for a ceiling. It was fucking. It was. It, it was like a fort, I, like a kid's a kid's blanket. I don't know fort. how Tyson didn't go mad up there. Maybe he did. I don't know. But um, you know, and you a lot couldn't of times, run that. You, you couldn't run the AC because the microphone would pick it up. So you'd be sweating your ass off in there ugh. trying to get a vocal take while Howard's telling you to do a falsetto harmony. And you're not comfortable with it. <laughs> Like just let me out of this fucking room. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but it, it was seriously like that. I you talked about the feel on verse two. The drums changed the feel a bit here as that shuffle hi hat is here that wasn't present in verse one. Yeah, it's aw- it's awesome. Um, the stereo guitars and bass and a new guitar part. It's like a delay and flanger sound come Ooh, in here. Oh yeah, it's such a cool texture. Is that what that was? All the guitar nerds ask me about this one too. Um, yeah, that every, sounds Some killer. people think it's a banjo. I mean, it was originally written as kind of a banjo type part. Um, I ended up putting a banjo on a different song on the record. I know you did. I was going to um, say, I, I read I read the credits right. I'm like, banjo? Yeah. yeah, I think it was a second verse of a song called Night Drive. But it, it was kind of that vibe. Um, but we just took that same AMS delay. It wasn't a memory man at this point. We'd moved to the digital delay to keep it like super locked in time. An old school AMS digital delay and a what's called a Q-Zone pedal. Which is essentially it's 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 a Dunlop pedal, just like a the Crybaby Wah, that same company. But it's like if you turned on a Wah pedal and just like left it cocked at like a specific point, okay, um, in the sweep. Only this pedal allows you to actually control the amount of like the Q amount of that peak. Um, so yeah, it's just like this really kind of honky just tone with a quarter note delay on it, but a it's killer or eighth it's note so, delay, I guess. It, it's so cool. And I got, I want to talk real quick about that part. Was that something that you said, Hey, you know, we're doing overdubs with, with Plotnikov or did, did Howard ever say, Hey, we need something in the second verse or did well, you Howard, guys kind of know? Howard wouldn't have been there. We were, you know, we would, we would lay down after the drums, we would do basic rhythm section tracks and that's what Tyson would sing to. Um, and then we would do more ear candy kind of stuff. And it was like, okay, verse two, what should we add? And I was like, I have this like weird banjo-y idea. And it was one of those things where like, here's a terrible idea. Like, I can't wait for you guys to veto this. And then we're like, no, like, let's don't play it on a banjo, clearly, but let's do this other weird shit to it. And it, and it's it's actually really hard to play. I, fu- I still fuck it up every night playing this part. <laughs> uh, it's great. Well, the, the second pre-chorus here... Hands are shaking cold, but we get a different lyric the second time. Your hands are mine to hold. And there again, there's a great like unity, I'm, man. I don't, know, I don't know if it's the same pedal, but a, like a chorus flanger uh, mm. and maybe and maybe a synth here on this part with kick, hi-hat and sporadic snare hits that are happening here. Kind of harking back to that U2 thing that you were saying. Yeah. I, I, I can really hear that that uh, Larry Mullen drumming uh, style here. Was there any synth there at all? 
I don't think so. I mean, that little thing, that was just, that was the same tone that's in the second verse, but that was just like kind of like onomatopoeia on a guitar. I was like, he says shaking, so let me do this like fast little tremolo thing. Yeah. Not saying that you didn't create these sounds at all, but again, you know, who knows what Paul was doing to some of right. them too. Totally, totally. You know, and, and not, not saying again that you didn't create all these sounds, but there's, there's a lot of moving parts at, at Bay 7 Studios. There, there sure is. And the only reason I'm, I'm so confident about that stuff is because I'm like, I do all the tracks and stuff for our, our band's live show. And so like, I, I know the sessions, at least the CLA sessions, like the back of my hand. But like I said, a lot of these sounds were, were summed or bounced down. So if there were other layers to them, then they're there. I, I might, I might not even know. Gotcha. I also notice on speak to me here, there's a new melody on that line. That's mm. interesting because the first way that Tyson sings it is so catchy and it evokes such an emotion. And I'm surprised that that uh, that got past Howard the second time. I never noticed it however many times I've heard this song over the oh, years. Oh, really? Just getting it under the microscope going, wow, there's a melody change there. And it seems odd that there would be because that, that, that setup... might have been a in the studio track and vocals with Howard thing. But it might also just be... You know, one of those like vampy ad lib things that you get when you're in a rehearsal room writing a song with a band and you're just trying not to fucking be bored playing the song over and over. I, I can't I can't speak to that. There's been other times that I know the Lord Algae brothers and these other mixers have sat there and went, you know, they'll go to another vocal that's up. A lot of times the sessions aren't completely clean when they get to these guys. They'll be like, oh, yeah. oh what, what does this one sound like? That's cool. I'm going th- <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw it in there. So you don't know whose discretion it was at. Totally. Uh, chorus two comes in, same instrumentation and lyrics as chorus one. Harmonies are in the same spot. And then we go to post-chorus two. Go on, go on, go on, go on. When everything is wrong, we move along and you get those four go-ons again. The go-ons are all double vocals. Uh, here we get the intro progression, but it's so much heavier here because the drums and the stereo guitars are just so big in this part. Um, and then from here out in the song, it is hook after hook. <laughs> you get, you just get, you get lambasted, you get hit over the head. And I'm calling the next part, Nick, the bridge. Yep, okay. we call, that's what we call it. Okay, yeah, because yeah. that was the post-chorus that we get into. When everything is wrong, we move along. Along, 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 along. It's kind of a call and response that happens again. And then you get the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. The whole bit, like this weird, again, that's a weird. Triplets, baby. Right, that's an <laughs> odd thing to have in a pop song like this. I don't recall that being on the demo. Was it that, there? That was, but that bridge section where it's just yeah. that big, just E flat pedal um, for what is it, eight bars? It w- it was half as long. 
So it was just alone. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. And then it went back into a full chorus after that. We didn't have the breakdown like on the final master. Gotcha. Well, I, and something I did mention, I want to talk about because, you know, we're not really going to get into the, the, the lyrical uh, meaning of the verses per se, but the chorus. Have you ever looked at lyrics or, you know, that you've listened to or in this in this case, I, I'm looking at them on paper and I'm going, man, that is a songwriter's dream to convey a message that is so just in layman's terms. Like, <laughs> why couldn't I have wrote this? You know, there's really not much here, but there's a ton here. And I mean that with all my heart. Totally. When all you got to keep is strong, move along, move along. Like I know you do it. Like looking forward to new beginnings. I mean, th- this lyric is super powerful and positive. Yeah, and, and it, it connected in a major way. I mean, people have come up to us with just insane stories of just overcoming and um, things I can't even imagine going through. And this was their, their anthem for that. And it's, it's incredible. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we had the opportunity for so many people to hear it. I don't know how to talk to fans that come up with the tattoos sometimes. I don't know how to, they told me that, you know, they were in a car crash with their brother and they survived and they have survivor's guilt in this song that we, I've, I've heard the stories as I know you have. Yeah, totally. Um, Same kind of thing. I've went back to the bus and, 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 and shared a, you know, shed a tear a few times. It's, it's, I'll never get over that feeling. And this song obviously touch, touch people that way. And it makes, it makes you feel guilty. Like you're like, I'm here doing like what I love and I get to do this every fucking day. And like the perseverance that these people have, I can't even, I can't even imagine it. I I know it's, there is a, that is the perfect word. There is a little bit of guilt. I don't know why I necessarily feel that, but that's the, the emotion that it, it evicts. Chorus three is just piano, vocals, and this choir. Yeah. In my head, when I got to this part uh, the other day, when I started uh, you know, preparing for the episode, it was this big, crazy, upfront choir. It's really tucked back. Tyson's vocals really front and center. And it's children. Yes. It's, I was going to ask. Yeah. It sounds like kids. Mm-hmm. When all you got to keep is strong, move along, move along like I know you do. Even when your hope is gone, move along, move along, just to make it through. It adds this innocence to it. Totally. I had to go back and look. I was like, did we actually, do we do like band gang vocals on this? And no, we didn't. It's just lead vocal, doubled lead vocal, Tyson's harmonies, and then this children's choir. Originally, this breakdown wasn't uh, wasn't a part of the song. Yeah, it wasn't on the demo. No, it wasn't. And I, I don't. I, it was probably a Howard thing when we were in pre-production talking about the breakdown. And I remember just basically doing a broken down version of the chorus as is, um, which starts on a on the on a on a C minor. Sure, and you could have palm muted that with one guitar or whatever. You totally, know? totally. And I think I just programmed some like cheesy MIDI piano that we eventually like we had demoitis for that. And when the when talk of bringing in a real like pianist came up yeah we're like no the demo's great like that cheesy midi shit that i programmed is perfect it's charming that chord casio sounds great yeah yeah (laughs) um but it, it didn't sound right in that minor key so i i think it was me i i don't remember but i was like what if we just switch those first two chords and make the breakdown when the kids come in 
in a major key so mm-hmm. that, or the, in, in the relative major, I guess, um, it's still in the key, but it starts with the major chord. Um, just for that, I don't know, just more hope and more uplifting. And then when the band kicks back in, it's like, oh, we're dark and minor again. <laughs> yeah, well, I know the song's capo, but I want to say it's like D flat is the is the first chord here versus the, what I'm calling it, it's not this because it's capoed, but <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it's D flat major as your major you're talking we're actually, about. We're actually tuned down half a step and it's E flat. E flat, okay. Yeah. And then and then I'm calling it, I guess it would be B flat would be the other chord maybe. the Whatever it is, <laughs> the, the, the turnaround here is amazing because oh, you thanks, don't man. really hear it again but you, but you feel it when i first heard this song and i want to say it was on the radio when this part came in with the choir i'm like okay <laughs> uncle uncle it's for real it's like what else can they do it was like the song was already awesome and i was just like man you, well, you really this part just it, it's such a huge emotional uh it's a it's a relief coming off everything else, and and not that you need a relief, but that is pretty jarring. That dun 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 that the band does before this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're coming off the bridge, which is just a pedal on that e, on that E flat, and then the breakdown starts on E flat too. That was something we were we were worried about. It's like you don't start a section with the same chord you ended the last one. That's weird. But I guess because of the scene change, you don't notice as much. And then Howard was just coming off. Uh, that POD record he made with a uh, youth of a nation. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they were the same kids, but you know, he, he brought in a bunch of little kids that, uh, we didn't have any interaction with the kids. I don't know if there was like some rule about that. Like don't let kids around like shithead musicians or what, but yeah, I did deal directly with the, uh, the choir conductor and like gave her like sheet music and shit for it. I wonder if, uh, Howard hit his Oreos before the kids got there. <laughs> 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 Don't touch Howard's fucking Oreos, man. No, no, no. He, he'll, 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 he'll even uh, s- smack a kid for that. Um, this uh, uh, th- this part this part is awesome. This is is so good. And the last line, uh, and there's no harmonies here. It's it's really personal. This uh, this vocal just to make it through is just vocals. And then we go into the first double chorus of the song. And yeah. to your point, when I was playing along to this, we got to the breakdown part, and I'm like. How am I at the wrong chord? It went back to the it went back to the major uh-huh. intro progression, which is yeah. so it's so genius. Sneaky, sneaky. Chorus three. Uh, it's our first double chorus. There's harmonies on every line here. It's the only time in the song it happens. Mm, yeah. We don't get harmonies on the other choruses all the way through. We also get some call and responses halfway through just to make it through. It's like a backing vocal that yeah, Tyson's doing. Ad-lib track, yeah. Yeah, no, you do. And uh, the last line, move along. What I love about those tracks, you refer to as an ad-lib track. Mm-hmm. I'd have those where it'd be like, 
power to whoever producer would say, hey, we got the track. Do me a favor. Just sing this one with reckless abandon. Right, you know, totally. Re- re- reach for notes you wouldn't reach for. Scream a little harder if you want to. Maybe take a part down a little bit, the edge off it. Just kind of evoke a different emotion here. Totally. And lo and behold, little, little things like this might, might show up in the song. I love the tag i'm calling it the outro here okay it's yeah. kind of like post chorus too you get the four go ons again with those gang vocals Right back, what is wrong? We move along. Uh, and other vocals are kind of swirling in and out here. Oh, yeah, kitchen sink. That's our MO, man. Like, everything you've heard in the song, put it in the last chorus. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's it it's killer. We get the go online again with the gang vocals. Right back, what is wrong? We move along. There's a great band dynamics here. It's like a dang, 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 dang. So that, that, that right there was the end of the song originally. Yes. Bonka, 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 bonka. And that's still to this day how we end it live. And that's how we ended it in the tracking session, too. But yeah, I guess, you know, Howard thought this was the kind of song that needed a fade out. Um, mm-hmm. I hear they're coming back now, but for a while, like <laughs> this, <laughs> this might have been the last song that faded out yeah. for quite a while. Yeah, what, what are you guys, the Captain of Tennille, like a, <laughs> yeah. a, a yacht yacht rock band? I know the first time we did a fade out, one of my punk buddies from Gaines was like, <laughs> "So you did a yeah, you did a fade out." Like we were having a beer when I'm like. I felt like an I felt like an a hole. I'm like, yeah. What's wrong with the fade out? It's like, what are you, Christopher Cross? You know, <laughs> totally. Yeah, and again, you uh, know, when 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 you're in a rehearsal space, you know, jamming on a song, you're not thinking about a fade out. We were like, okay, how do we end it? And we came up with a way to end it. And then he was like, oh, just fucking loop the end and fade it out. And that's you know, that was a an after an after thing. On the next go on uh, section with the gang vocals, the song starts to fade. Speaking of that. Uh, Fading. Right back, what is wrong? We move along, and there is a long held out. A uh, long. He holds it, holds oh, it yeah. out there. And then on the last, go on, go on, go on, go on. Right back, what is wrong? We move along. It's barely audible as it as it trails off. Yeah. You know, first of all, I can't believe that uh, uh, 17, 18 years have passed. I don't know where the time went. I could probably speak for you on that. Um, this song... Uh, I've always loved it. It was a real uh, a joy to break down. I gotta ask you, yeah, was this the one when you're getting the Chris Lord algae mixes back and you're in the studio or you're in your car and you got it cranked up and this song, this mix came back? What did that feel like? Well, there's definitely some story with the mixing and the the post process with the record. I do want to touch on something, sure, um, that you were talking about when we were talking about the kitchen sink last chorus. I remember another Howard thing. Um, I don't know if he was just trying to shake things up and create drama. I think there was a period uh, when we made the record. We 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 recorded the record in only six weeks um, because it was such a you know well oiled machine over there at Bay Seven. But I think he thought it was going too smoothly, and he wanted to <laughs> start some shit and create drama because you know drama and you know that kind of shit makes better art, I guess. And as I was saying earlier, like we're very 
We're very protective of our music and our playing and our performances. Like, if we can do it, we want to do it. Clearly, we can't play like Lenny Castro. Br- sure, bring in Lenny Castro. We actually brought him in for every single record we made after <laughs> this, too, because <laughs> he's such a fun energy. Um, yeah. But I remember he was like, the end of Move Along, it needs something. Like, it's not kitchen sink enough. And, quote, I remember this because I was so <laughs> offended by it. He's like, we just need to bring in a ringer, like, you know, just like a session guitar player to, quote, shit all over the end of this song. <laughs> and I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me, man. And he was yeah. like, yeah, like, he, I, I think he wanted Omar from Mars Volta to come in and just do some, like, really cool, weird shit. Okay. And I was like, I was like, hang, I was like, okay, leave, give me a day, we'll we'll fix this. And I, there's just, there's all kinds of, like, feedback that's in you know in pitch um in the key of the song i broke out my jackson because i'm a def leppard fan of course i have a jackson that no one will ever see but it's 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 there Uh, just some dive bomb shit just you know i tried to shit all over the end of the song and uh i guess that was enough (laughs) and and i and i think i'm glad you brought that up because i did have written here i almost forgot thank you nick the crapping all over at the end of the song here (laughs) i had it written here i thought maybe Howard, again, I'm hearing like synths here, but you're telling me that's all guitar stuff. There is some synths. There is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Starting in the bridge, there's a pipe organ that comes in along with like a mini Moog, like just like so subby. I couldn't hear it on my computer speakers. You have right. To, okay. You have to hear so it, it, on, on... It, it is there. And there, and yeah, and there's some like, you know, some twinkly pad stuff in the choruses and there's an additional one that does come in in the end. But yeah, that's along with like all kinds of feedback, all kinds of vocal ad libs, a bunch of little, you know, a bunch of little kids. Um, it's yeah, <laughs> everything you can imagine. So uh, you get the record back and this, this song had to have been a standout, right? It was. I mean, this was the song we were the most proud of, and the label loved it. We were all set to go. This was going to be the first single. You know, CLA works so fast, um, Chris, the mixer, that we actually stayed, we stuck around. Like, this is, we, we had no reason to go home. Like, nothing was waiting for us there. So, like, we stuck around in LA. None of us lived there at the time. Um, we're like, cool, let's, let's watch this record get mixed. So, Chris works so fast that at the end of every day, we would go in and we would hear one, maybe two mixes. We would take it out to our car, our rental PT Cruiser, which, <laughs> yeah. terrible car, but I do have some nostalgia. I do have some feelings for PT Cruisers now because of <laughs> because of that, those two months that we spent at the yeah. Oakwood with it, sharing that car. You know, we would go out to the car, listen to it. I always thought the hi-hat and move-along was way too loud. Um, and even though we turned it down a ton, it's still like... It's still like a, the star of the chorus next to the lead vocal, but <laughs> it, it it is. And yeah. y- you know, I'm I, I'm a big like picking things out of mixes that I think are annoying, and it just it doesn't bother this guy for whatever that's worth. I think it I think it's the right mix. Okay, but sweet man, I know I know where you're at with that though, because I can get fixated <laughs> on something in one of our songs, and the guys want to kill me. Mm-hmm. And then you know. It was a blast working with Chris. He did a remix of Swing Swing for us, you know, when we went to radio with that one. Um, he, he's always great to work with. He's a character. Um, oh, yeah. It's, in, because he worked so fast, he mixed the record in, I think, 10, 10 business days. Um, and we were, like I said, we were there at the end of every day at 5 o'clock to hear that last mix, and then he would split, and that was it. He'd do the next one the next day. But, you know, uh, just his one-liners, man. Like, a bunch of the Lenny Castro stuff on his, like, his third pass, his, like, miscellaneous pass. 
there'd be some like kooky percussion stuff or maybe there was like a little noodly guitar all the ear candy shit that we added yeah he would go in to hear a mix and i'm like hey where's the you know insert kooky thing here and he's like oh that thing he's like you wanted that <laughs> he's like yeah. okay he's like okay we'll 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 pull it up we'll just bury it on the passenger side <laughs> <laughs> so pan it hard right turn it down we were happy be out yeah, you know back to your question sorry i'd probably gotten quite long-winded on some of no, these no no it's great <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I mean, we were set to go. Move Along was going to be the first single. It was going to be the name of the record. I mean, it is the name of the record. But, you know, like I said, we didn't really have much waiting for us at home. We were in Florida, but the record was written. It was done. There's no more. There's no reason for us to stay here. We accomplished what we came here to accomplish. Um, get us on the road. So literally just a week or two after the record was done, we got back in the van. We, we got to tour in a bus at the end of our first record cycle. But in the beginning of the second record cycle, almost two years later, it's like, if you want to go on tour without a record and you're going to have to, you're going to have to, you know, tough it out in a van again. We're like, all right, cool. Let's do it. Remember two months, we call it the Van Whalen tour. Um, <laughs> two months, we got so fucking sick, all of us. It just went around the van. I remember mm-hmm. I lost my voice. You know, I wasn't singing backups at, on any of the shows. No one's sleeping. You oh, know. it was the worst. And and then on top of that, we had to do like morning radio shit. So it got mm-hmm. to the point where the tour manager was the only van driver. You know, we, we used to take turns, but like after a show, if we got to, you know, be at some morning show at 6 a.m. in Philadelphia or wherever the fuck. You know, we got to sleep and the guy that's been loading gear and running sound all day. And I mean, let's face it, working harder than all of us has to drive, too. So that's oh. that was that was that was we, we, we did. We did the bus thing and we went back to the van and it it's lasted rough. about six months. And it was like, oh, you, you just you, yeah, it the bus is a, another level. You can actually get it as a singer. Rest is paramount to keeping oh, your voice. It's the most important thing. Most oh, we important. even did. We even went back to the van and did a, uh, our second warp tour in a van and not a bus like we oh did the my, first one. No that, way. In Florida, that'll break you. <laughs> <laughs> well, sp- speaking of touring, and listen, I could talk to you all day. But oh, we're going to have to have you come back at some point. This I do. Fun. I would love to. I do want to touch on the changing up the single, though. Cause, oh, yes. Please do. Yeah. So, you know, we were all set. We, we wanted to do, you know, we wanted the cover of the record to be not our picture, um, for one. The first single was going to be Move Along. Um, we were going to, you know, go back, go on the road, back in a van. It was really grassroots. But, you know, I think, you know, to their credit, Jimmy Iovine, by this time, we were finally at a label home of Interscope. Jimmy Iovine and, and Brenda, the um, radio um, person at Interscope, sometime during that van tour, we got a call from our A&R guy and said, Jimmy and Brenda, they want to they switch up the single and go with Their Little Secret first. We were like, oh, fuck. And they want you to put your picture on the cover of the record. <laughs> like, oh fuck! Oh fuck! Oh fuck! Everything is going to shit. Well, you guys, you guys weren't the ugliest group of kids. I could see the merit in that. So. I mean, we were twenty-two, so we had that going for us. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we're like, okay. Well- Okay, but make it silver ink and make it really faded so that you can only see our picture if you hold it at an angle like a hologram. And then <laughs> and then every pressing of the record like got progressively darker and darker. And now it's ba- it looks like a Xerox now, but <laughs> I'm so glad that things worked out for you the way that they did. You know, picking that first setup single uh leading into a record, there's been times 
that they got it wrong. And when it comes time yeah. around to, to pitch the correct single, the stations are over it. They're on to the next thing. So much of this is right time, right place. Totally. You have to have a great record. You have to have a great product. And it has to be great sounding. But right time and right place. You know, and God, and God bless Interscope because they stuck with... We, we wanted Move Along to be first because we were the most proud of that. Dirty Little Secret was kind of an afterthought for us. We didn't. We, it wasn't even going to be on the record, but, um, you know, we did it. Whatever. Um, now, of course, it's great. People go nuts when we play it. I love that song. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but, <laughs> but you know, thank God Interscope stuck with it because it took like six months for that song to finally break. And I don't know if labels have that kind of patience or that kind of money to do that nowadays. And, you know, thank God we got our second single. And then I think there ended up being like five singles or some shit on this record. Yeah, um, no, that it, it was... Like I said, I I think Dirty Little Secret in hindsight was the perfect setup. I do uh, too. Great great companion piece to swing swing, but but move along was just uh just one of the one of your standout tracks. Uh, Thanks, speaking man. of touring, you guys are going on the road soon uh, with uh, opening acts, Newfound Glory, the Starting Line, Motion City soundtrack, and Get Up Kids. Yeah, lots of Krista makes a podcast alumni there. That and the fact that that's a pretty uh, uh, stacked lineup, buddy. It's gonna. <laughs> That's that's like a, a early two thousands uh, concert dream uh, lineup come true. I mean, I we have I mean shit. We haven't done. We haven't been on tour. We've been we've been actively playing shows. You know, it, just you know, except for COVID, of course. But like we've been actively playing shows for the last ten years. But the last tour we did, I think, was twenty seventeen with Dashboard, um, and then the last headlining tour we did was to support our last full length album, Kids in the Street, which was in twenty twelve. So we haven't done a headlining tour in 11 years. So I think, you know, it felt like the right time. And I think <laughs> we haven't we had an opportunity to take out a bunch of our friends and a bunch of bands that, you know, we've crossed paths with, maybe toured with in the past, but haven't really just got to do like a let's get all of our friends back together and just go have a fucking fun ass summer. Um, and also it's like, we haven't headlined in 11 years. So like, let's, let's get a bunch of bands on this thing so we can, you know, pack these rooms. But man, I'm, I'm so fucking stoked. I haven't been on a tour in a long time where I literally have thought, okay, don't book any press or meet and greets when the get up kids play or, you know, I I, I need to watch all of these bands every night. I'm so fucking stoked. That is such a great feeling. And I thought that my, those feelings as a kid were strong. You'd go out those first couple tours we all did. It's like, Oh, we're going to see our friends band play. You'd be watching every night. And now it's, it's, it's even a deeper appreciation because I can't believe I'm still doing this. Right. And the yeah. Fact, you know, and, and you're looking over at your buddy that you, you've known for 20 years and he's still doing it. And <laughs> what a, what a great feeling. It's and, like and congr- that Paul Rudd meme. It's just like, Look at us. <laughs> yeah, no, it 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 it's it's a great feeling, and and, totally. and and you you and the guys, all, all the congratulations in the world to you. Thank and you thank so you, much. Thank you so much for sitting in, man. I really appreciate it, dude. Thank you for all the time. I didn't mean to chew your ear off for an hour and a half, but <laughs> it was awesome, man. I love I love getting my ear chewed off, especially when someone is a good chewer. So. <laughs> Hey, everybody, I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Nick Wheeler. What a guy. 
But don't go anywhere. We got the band you might not know coming up, as well as the rap, where Chris and I will have our own little discussion about this episode. So we'll be right back after a few words from our sponsors. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Hey, everybody. If you like Krista Makes a Podcast, I'm going to assume that you like music podcasts. And if you like music podcasts, check out One Hit Thunder. Each week, we dive into a one-hit wonder, and along the way, we gain some knowledge and have some laughs. Lou Bega, Crazy Town, Harvey Danger, The New Radicals, Aha. We're over 100 episodes in now, and to paraphrase the great Matthew Wilder, nothing's going to break our stride. Subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Pedestrian, a punk rock band from Burlington, Ontario, Canada, consisting of TJ on bass, Drew on drums, Kyle on guitar, and Nick on vocals and guitar. Check them out on Instagram at pedestrian.music. Here's a snippet of their song, Middle Kid. Chris and Chris. So Chris, I thought that one was awesome. Obviously, Nick has listened to the show before, so he knew what he was getting into, which always makes the episode a lot more fun for us anyway. Yeah, he he hit you up and I love that. I love uh he came in here all guns blazing. He was fired up. It was great. Yeah, it was really fun watching this conversation happen and he said a lot of things I took note of because I thought they were interesting. One of them being the old proven method of the A&R guy or the manager or the producer saying, you guys should keep writing, which will oftentimes piss off the band (laughs) or get them pretty frustrated. But in this case, it really worked out for All American Rejects because they wrote this song after that was said to them. So for any producers or A&R guys or managers out there, hey, it doesn't hurt to say that, right? No, not at all. It's sometimes it's those trials and tribulations that, uh, you know, make a record what it is. And, and the band gets known for that. Had they had stopped writing before they got to move along, who knows Who knows what would have happened? Sometimes that uh, gets the band fired up too. You know, you get right. someone there telling you, you, you know, you think you have a record in the can and and they're like, no, you don't. And, and uh, sometimes anger breeds creativity. Yeah, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? If you write a, a mediocre song in that time, you still, <laughs> it, it doesn't hurt anything. So I think that's a little bit of a trick uh-huh. <laughs> that, pe- that people might use, you know? Well, yeah, and we've heard the, you know, conversely to that uh, theory is Chad Gilbert from Newfound Glory when he was on talking about, you know, they, they had a whole record written and in the last minute they they wrote their, was it My Friends Over You he came on to talk about? Uh, yeah, I think that was right. Yeah. 
think I think that was what it was. But yeah, you there's no pressure uh, in that context because you already have you're already sitting on an album. It's like yeah, I'll write one more for the fun of it, and that becomes your signature song. So you never know what's going to happen. I've I've been on both sides of that fence, and as as long as the record comes out how you envision it, then uh, everyone's happy. He also talked about how in those early years of the band, he's talking about the early 2000s, how frowned upon co-writing was. Now I think we're all more enlightened and probably open to collaborating with people. But at the time, man, that was a hard no. Even if Butch Walker was offered up as someone to co-write with, it's like, no, we're going to do our own thing. I know that we've in Punchline always felt that way. I'm sure less than Jake felt that way back in the day, but we all, you know, now it just sounds cool. You could write with somebody, you know, it sounds fun. Yeah. I, you know, as everybody on listens to this show knows, I love collaborating because I, I, you can always learn something from somebody. I've, I've learned stuff from 14, 15 year old kids that pick up the, they've been playing the guitar for a week and just the way that they'll play something or they'll have an idea that the way they'd approach the guitar, you'll learn something. So I always try to keep my mind open to that. And Chris, I think today now more so than ever with social media's reach and whatnot, if you find the right person to collaborate with, if they have a big reach, uh, you know, you could get your band notice to a, to a new group of people that may not have been following you sure true hey another thing that he talked about in this episode where i was like oh my god i do that on i'm not kidding chris probably 90 percent of every demo that i've ever made uh falsetto doubling mm. <laughs> i do that i've just always done that because i think it sounds good with my voice and maybe i've done it on a recording or two i actually think i did it on a more recent punchline song but I didn't know that was something that was in vogue in recent years that a lot of artists do. I always thought, you know, I did a lot of octave doubling in my personal vocals, but the falsetto thing, I didn't know that that was such a thing. Yeah, it's a big thing in the pop music world. And had I not worked with Howard or or somebody that approached uh, producing from a pop standpoint, I might have never known that either. But yeah, it was very strange when he asked me to do it, but I could see why. It's a part of your voice that fills out that other part of your voice. And uh, for certain songs, it works masterfully. Is that a word? Masterfully? Yeah, sure. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) I like that word. Uh, (laughs) Yo, another thing he talked about on here, which I thought was really interesting and funny, is he said... You don't grill your bandmates about what lyrics are about. And, you know, any lyrics I've contributed, no one's in my band is grilling me on them. I don't grill my bandmates about theirs because sometimes you're writing about something personal and you don't necessarily want to get into it. It might make you a little squeamish. It might make you a little bit embarrassed for one reason or another. Maybe you're talking about your feelings or your emotions or something. So, you know, your homies in your band might just be like, no, that sounds cool. The melody's cool. The performance is great. And they're not grilling you on it. Uh, But so I thought it was pretty interesting that he brought that up in reference to, you know, in this song, he said Tyson had had written the verses. And uh, I also thought it was interesting. And a lot of times the people that come on our show say things that I feel like I'm never going to forget. But he said, the verse is for the artist and the chorus is for everybody else. And I was like, that is so true. Because a lot of times you could write whatever in the verse, but as long as the chorus is relatable to people on a grand scale, the song could be a hit. Absolutely. Got to remember that chorus hook. And I'll tell you something else you got to remember, Chris. 
What's that? If you're not already part of our supporting cast, go over to ChrisDemakes.com and be a member. For the price of a Cracker Barrel apple juice, $3.89 <laughs> national average, you can support yeah. the podcast you know and love and get extra episodes each week of the After Party, where Chris and I lament on everything from this week's episode to world affairs and everything in between. It's a lot of fun. ChrisDemakes.com. Help us out. It's a whole other podcast we do that we've done at this point, when you're listening to this, well over 100 episodes of that. It's called The After Party. It's at KristaMakes.com. And yes, for the price of an apple juice at the Cracker Barrel, which I think should be should be always be our <laughs> be our pitch to people. You can go to KristaMakes.com. You support the podcast. You get a bonus episode every week, and it's just for pocket change. Uh, and you really help us out, and you allow us to continue making this podcast forever, bringing you great guests each week where you learn, you're entertained, and, you know, we all have a little fun. There you go. And I had got a call this morning from my friend Bobby down in the Tampa Bay area, Chris. He said he heard my jingle for Just Call Mo. It's a nice. lawyer down there. Yes, I, I, I can get in bed with lawyers if I have to. Uh, wrote him a jingle. It's getting played on 102.5 The Bone in Tampa. So I'm on the radio <laughs> the down there. If you want a jingle, <laughs> The Bone. If you want <laughs> classic rock, Chris, which means our okay. bands are now, cl- we, we might get played in The Bone. Uh, if you want a custom <laughs> song or jingle for your business, if you're a struggling lawyer in the Central Florida or Tampa Bay area, give me uh, give me an email, ChrisDemakes at gmail.com. I'd love to write you or that special someone a custom song or a jingle for your business. It'd be fantastic. And this has been an awesome, awesome episode. I love Move Along. Great song. And even a greater person, Mr. Nick Wheeler. Thanks for sitting in with us. And we'll see you next time. Hey, everybody. Satan here. I know what you're thinking. Jesus Christ, Satan has a podcast now too? No, no, that's not it. But I am here to tell you about a podcast, and it's one that's all about my favorite band, Punchline. Not the band you expected me to say, right? You probably figured I'd like Slayer, or maybe some backwards Beatles records or something. Those are okay. But you usually find me rocking out to fan-favorite punchline albums like Action or Lion while I'm torturing dead people for all of eternity. Punchline's podcast is called A Band Called Punchline, and it's super entertaining to listen to this documentary-style look back at the 25 years of my favorite band. Honestly, I'm really feeling like I'm getting to know these guys, and their story is amazing. I'm so ready for them to get down here. I have so many questions. I gotta give them credit for catching on to my whole 37 thing, too. There's a reason why they're my favorite band, and if you listen to their podcast, they might become yours, too. A band called Punchline is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Check it out, and I'll see you all in hell. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. 
Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.